Welcome to Illinois Family Spotlight, a conversation about issues of the day from a biblical perspective, as well as highlights from interviews, conferences, and events. Here's Monty Larrick. Thanks for making Illinois Family Spotlight part of your day. Monty Larrick here near Dallas, Texas at the National Religious Broadcasters Convention, joined by Dr. Eddie Carnegie with the Living Word Center in Forest Park. Came all the way to Dallas to interview a guy from Forest <laughs> Park. But uh, you have a re-entry ministry. It's faith-based, it's evangelical, meeting the needs of uh, a population that a lot of Christians ignore. Mm. But before I go into that, how did you get from where you once were to here? You were a liberal theologian. That's true. That's Tell me true. your testimony. I actually came to Illinois uh, to pursue my Master of Divinity, and I was working in urban ministry on the south side of Chicago. I wasn't necessarily a church person, if you will. I, I lived vicariously through the faith of my mother and uh, was, was searching for an understanding of God, and that took me into seminary and into theology. That was a 20-year search. Yeah, a 20-year search, a 20-year search. Around 2002, I said to God, after going to churches around the city, I said to God, okay, Lord, you're going to have to send me somewhere where I can actually learn about who you are. I got my second degree, a Master of Sacred Theology, and then my working on my PhD in Theology, Ethics, Culture, and Human Science. I was going to Chicago Theological Seminary, which is a very liberal seminary. And, um, really? <laughs> <laughs> and was embraced by the community, and I, in turn, embraced them. I heard their stories and understood their plight, and in many ways took it on as my own. That took me down into a very intense study of things like queer theory and womanist theologies and black theologies, biblical hermeneutics, and, and they began to be the tools that I began to shape my dissertation with, and my thinking. I became so good at it that uh, my writings uh, were used to promote me as an ally to the LGBTQI community. Many of them had uh, become my friends, they were my advisors, and they were the people who supported who I was as an academic. And the church wasn't anywhere around in my thinking or in my living or doing. Did you pick up a Bible during that time? Never had to. Never had to. And so the Bible wasn't my primary text. What was? James Cone, Black Liberation Theology, or Theology of Black Liberation, and many other texts that talked about post-colonial theories and queer theories. My primary interlocutor were the writings of James Baldwin, who many see as the champion of the black gay community and, of course, of queer theory. And I knew him as an author, yes. What's queer theory? <laughs> the best way to talk about queer theory is that it problematizes anything that is determined as normal. And so I used queer theory to talk about blackness and said that blackness is queer. It's not normal. It's not a way of actually living in the world. And so what had begun for me was really the, 
the deconstruction of identity, right? And I'll never forget my primary advisor took me aside one day because I was looking at Genesis 9, 20 through 29, where Noah cursed his son, Ham. And um, I was looking specifically as, at that as the introduction of blackness into the Bible. This is where black people came in with the curse of Ham. Looking at it in a very narrow way, and my advisor took me aside and said this very profound statement. She said, uh, Eddie, blackness is a construction of whiteness. And I, I took that and began to ponder on it. And I said, well, if blackness is a construction of whiteness, then where else can I go once I take blackness out of my equation? And so it almost felt like being on your porch and the paper's outside and you step outside and you just have on your underclothes and the door slams behind you and you can't go back in. That's how it felt. And so for me, that was the moment when I moved away from identifying myself merely as a black male. And, but I was left, well, well, where do I go from here? There wasn't a paper, there wasn't a philosopher that could actually answer that question. Right at the end of my studies, right when I finished my dissertation, I was born again. What happened? What led to that conversion to <laughs> belief in Jesus Christ? I was at the end of my rope, really, with my study. I was running out of money. And the one thing that I knew to do was to go back to church. And by that time, it had been almost 10 years that I hadn't been in church. And I went to Living Word Christian Center. And it was a giving message. And I had never heard one before in my life. And like the Christian that I had practiced being for years, I went into church. I didn't have time to stop by the, by the gas station so I could break a 20 so I could get something to eat afterwards and put a couple of dollars in the, in the, in the gas tank and get me something from the drive through But I was compelled to give it, and I did. And I saw a miracle happen behind that. The return on the 20 gave me enough money to be able to finish my doctoral program. The 20 turned into $20,000, right, in a, in a dissertation fellowship. And so I, I started going to church in 2011 at Living Word Christian Center and I'll never forget, it was uh, in April, April 17th of 2011. And my wife was sitting beside me. And I said, let's go right now. And we went down. We got saved that day. We got born again that day. We got baptized that day. I was an intellectual. And it just turned my life around. Wow, here you were, this real educated guy. Yes. And you turned to Christ. And I think for a lot of people, that seems like an impossibility. Here you are so well educated, mm. but you say it is a possibility. It is a possibility. I was at the end of reason. Shortly after that, I was still working in the academy and was in my office and I heard the Holy Spirit say, you're going to give all of your books away. I had a library of about 900 books and ended up giving all of those books away. But the one thing that I understood was that out of looking in, in Chicago, Chicago has more theological libraries in Chicago than there are anywhere else in the world, including Rome. You and wouldn't know it by what's happening in Chicago. You would not know that. You wouldn't know that. And I had searched the stacks of most of them. And I understand now God isn't in any of those books God is in, the Bible. 
And so it took all of those years and all of those years of study and all of those books for me to know where God is not. Firmly, I know where he's not and I firmly know where he is. Did some of that liberal theology linger on after your conversion? <laughs> there were some challenges there, yes. There were some challenges there. But mostly, not so much the theology itself, but the people that had nurtured me during that time and understanding that. What was their reaction? Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, um, the primary reaction was, uh, couldn't trust me anymore. <laughs> couldn't trust me to hold the party line. And that was my queer colleagues and my black and womanist colleagues. We still respect one another, but you know, I'm not invited to the party. <laughs> wow. And doctor, you were talking about uh, your old self, your old liberal self and your old liberal friends and where they were coming from. But did they provide you with any insights that you're using today mm -hmm. uh, that you actually find useful in your ministry? That's a good question. I would say that there are some things that, that I continue to use and, and those are around just being a student, but also having a sensitivity to those who aren't like me. That's been a very powerful and empowering component of my educational journey and always considering the other, if you will. And that's easily transferred over into Matthew 25 and 35, uh, 35 through 36 for me. When you do it to the, for the least of these, you've done it unto me. And that's not to a pejorative term where I'm saying that they're the least. And so it's, it's been something that I've been able to translate into how Christ sees people versus how I see them. And when I take that into the prisons, it's always the position that I take. How does Christ see the other? You know, instead of looking at them through a prejudicial lens, the lens of prejudgment, which is a natural way of, th of seeing things that don't look like you or don't sound like you or don't move like you, is how does God see them? And God sees them as the accepted and beloved. He sees them uh, that he's created us all in his righteousness and in his holiness. But if you don't understand that he's created you, how he's created you, what he's designed you to do, how he's anointed you, then it's easy to misuse and abuse the very thing that you don't understand, which is your life, your body, your purpose. Well, we want to continue our conversation with Dr. Cornegay and talk about his ministry. We'll do that when Illinois Family Spotlight continues after this. The real victims here are the children. For the Colson Center, I'm John Stone Street with The Point. A California couple suing a fertility clinic after discovering they gave birth to someone else's daughter. Apparently, there was a mix-up during their in vitro fertilization procedure in 2019. After a DNA test proved the mistake, the couple returned the baby girl to her genetic parents and returned for their own genetic daughter, whom they'd never met. Now, This mind-boggling story is about a tragedy made possible by a culture quick to accept technology on the basis of if we could do something, not whether we should do something. The focus of the news coverage so far has been on the parents, who we're all meant to assume are the story's real victims. And while this was certainly a heartbreaking experience, no one seems to be asking, what will this do to the children? However, we choose to engage assistive reproductive technology 
technologies will never do it well if our focus is only on adult happiness rather than what's best for the children. Just because we want to and we can doesn't mean we should. For the Colson Center, I'm John Stone Street with The Point. Thanks once again for joining Illinois Family Spotlight. Monty Glarick here near Dallas, Texas at the National Religious Broadcasters Convention, joined by Dr. Eddie Cornegay with Living Word Center in Forest Park. He's the director of RISE, a prison ministry. I come from a conservative viewpoint, mm. and like you, I was once a liberal, okay? Mm. Maybe a lot of us conservatives say, well, you're in prison, and you're there for a reason, mm. and you deserve that punishment. Mm. And when I hear about helping ex-offenders, I say, well... God has made all of us, and all of us has, have failed in some way, shape, form, or another. Um, and my own life is not without those, those pitfalls. And one of the most powerful stories, one of the first that I encountered when I began to really read the Bible, is the story of Joseph. And so here you have an ex-offender who rises to become the prince of Egypt, the second in command. And so if God can do it for him, he can do it for anyone who is befallen a hard time. And then I look at the ministry uh, of, in the book of Acts. Prison is the ministry of the Holy Spirit. He released Peter out of it. <laughs> he released Paul and Silas out of it. And even Paul talks about himself being a prisoner of Christ. And so there's something special about the prisoner and the prison to God and to Christ and to the Holy Spirit. How many people do you work with? In a given program, anywhere between 150 to 200 men. The majority of those men are supermax and max level detainees. Really? Yes, and many of uh, the people that we see that are accused of some of the most tragic crimes in the city of Chicago, I know them, I minister to them. Are you changing hearts and minds? Absolutely, absolutely. We see, well, some of the things that we do inside the jail, we, we do a, a Sunday worship service, a Living Word Christian Center Sunday worship service, where we see anywhere between 80 to 90 people coming to that service on a given Sunday. In our programs, we do a, a literacy empowerment program, a business and leadership program, a how to start your app business program inside the jail, which are well attended and in demand. We don't just do the practical skills, we do the faith component as well. So everything that we do is about salvation, leading people to Christ and helping them to see that God has a greater purpose and a greater priority for their lives. And so that is our primary goal. These guys get out of prison, it's not gonna do them a lot of good, mm. right? Unless there's that change of heart that you're working with on a spiritual level. Absolutely. And going in as a God-fearing Christian, we don't deny who we are as men of faith. I don't go in by myself. And so we model maleness. I call it modeling maleness inside of the jail. We, we start with John 1 verses 1 through 3, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. I say that that opens up a window and takes you back to Genesis 1:26, when He made us all on the same day. He didn't make us incrementally. He made us all at the same time. But He made us male and female. 
And so I strip back the idea, the notion of masculinity and say that the world gives you masculinity. God gives you manhood. The, the only way to understand that is you have to take it all the way back to the beginning when God created you as a male. God made us to have dominion. He, he created us to be creative and, and not to be chaotic. And so we talk about that and show them where they can find how God thinks about them and sees them and what God has for them using the word of God to do that. None of the books that I let go, none of the philosophies, not black liberation theology, not none of that is just the word of God. The scripture itself delivers them in. And we see uh, some very miraculous things happening. We, we probably have seen over the last four years about 40 men be supernaturally released from prison, like it happened for Peter, reunited with their families, cases dropped, found innocent, living full lives now back in the city of Chicago. Wow. So after they get out of prison, you're also stepping in with your reentry program. Well, our program is two parts. It's pre-release and post-release. And so we introduce our programming prior to release in our pre-release uh, program there at Cook County Jail. Post-release, we have an office, uh, 6266 West North Avenue, where we are able to get you employed, we're able to clothe you, we're able to give you education, and we're able to give you support as you move towards your repatriation into the community. Discipleship too? Discipleship as well. Everything moves back to the church. People giving their lives, born again, and, and we bring them in. We have a foundations class that goes on inside of Cook County Jail. So they come out, they, we invite them to church. Many of them come to church, become members, active in the church. And so everything ties back to that. So we give them all of those things uh, with what we do. Well, how willing are churches to have ex-offenders sitting in the pews? That's a great question. You know, what's interesting is, is that we just don't know because of shame how many people are already in church that might have had some instance of incarceration or arrest or have someone in their families that they know close ties that are serving time right now in the city of chicago one in three people have a record of arrest so it's that many that many that Not many just speeding tickets well speeding you know used to be marijuana but not not anymore but but one in three people one in three people. Wow, wow, wow. Yeah. That tells me we have a spiritual problem in the city of Chicago. We see that on the streets with all the violence, mm -hmm. but you're seeing it in your ministry. Well, absolutely. But I know what happens is, is when we begin to talk about what we're doing, it ends up being that people will pull you aside and say, well, can you write a letter to my son who's downstate? Or I've got an uncle that, that you just come back home, or I've got a record it, that I need expunged. But what the enemy does is he uses guilt and shame to keep people's tongues cloven to the roof of their mouths. And because of that, they'll just shame and guilt and shame speak louder to them than the Holy Spirit and the gospel can oftentimes. And so once we break that, Shame and guilt don't have the power to keep them from gaining a hold of the wholeness 
that God has promised them before they were formed in their mother's wombs. But uh, we have a God of miracles, don't we? You've seen a lot of miracles. Seen a lot of miracles. Miracles are still happening. We have phenomenal testimonies. We see supernatural things happening for us. Uh, we've had organizations give us tons of brand new suits and shoes and dress shirts so that we can outfit men when they come back. We even had, for the first time ever at Cook County Jail, a hiring event inside the jail oh. for detainees that were serving their sentences at the jail. We put on a hiring event. We had a tailor to come in and fit the, the program participants. The day of the event, we had about 10 companies come out at the jail. We brought the suits in. They changed out of their DOC uniforms, put on their brand new suits. They interviewed for jobs. Now, you talked about uh, ex-offenders being welcomed in churches. Are there some things that the churches could do, come alongside your ministry? Absolutely, absolutely. I, I think if you know employers that are willing to give second chances, you know, if it's small businesses or if you're the executive of a business, that would be great. If you have people that you don't know where the resources are, then send them to us. We have those resources we can help to do that. And number one, though, is to pray. Pray for prisoners. Pray that they're restored. Pray that, that they're given opportunities. Pray for the community. Pray for economic windfalls to, to manifest so that the best choice isn't to take a chance. And that's what often happens, is the best choice for many people is to take a chance. So we want to give you better choices so that you don't have to do that. I want to get a tad political here. Cashless bail. Good idea, bad idea? I think it's a bad idea. Why? I think it encourages lawlessness. It doesn't stop people in their tracks. It opens up the community to more violence. It goes unchecked. There are instances right now, because of cash bail and people being on electronic monitoring, they're terrorizing communities. And you brought up the the fact that uh, marijuana is now legalized for mm -hmm. recreational use, high-potency marijuana. Down the road, where does this take us, crime-wise? Mm. Are we going to have more addicts, <laughs> et cetera? And will this lead to an escalation of harder drug use? That's a good question. The real issue is heroin. Really? Yes. And what's happening is heroin is being laced with fentanyl. And then on top of that, uh, with the illegal marijuana trade, they're finding that fentanyl is, is showing up on the marijuana, on the pills, on that drug trade uh, writ large. And so the level of addiction has a probability of going up. And I don't think that the legal marijuana trade is going to reduce the illicit and illegal drug trade. I don't think they compete with one another at all. Well, there's even a move in the legislature to make heroin, cocaine, meth legal. Mm. How crazy is that? It's an abomination, believe it or not. I was years ago uh, an addict. Really? Yes, I was. I was. I was a crack addict. And understanding how nefarious, how, how much that can destroy not just yourself, but your family and your potential. I think that making it legal is going to impact certain communities more than it does others. 
and those communities don't need any more demons loosed into the community. There needs to be deliverance and not the abundance of evil thrust on them. You're talking about the black community? This Primarily, is yes. Pri okay. Yes, yes. But I think it's going to be a problem in the suburbs too. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. All you have to do is drive down 290, get off on Pulaski, and you'll see the suburbanites mixed with the urbanites all getting high. Shameful. I want to backtrack a little bit here and uh, heard your testimony earlier here at uh, NRB. And you mentioned that some of your writings from your leftward days are being used by none other than Black Lives Matter. Yeah. Whoa, that's not a feather in your cap, but tell us. <laughs> <laughs> On one hand, it shows that I was really good at what I did, right? That's, that's one portion of it, right? The other thing is, is that I think it gives me, it gives me similar to Paul, the authority. He was killing Christians, right? right? As a devout Jew, he saw that as his duty. As a accomplished scholar, I saw that as my duty. And now, just like Paul, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. And I believe that God put me in that position and made me an expert in that, not to condemn, but to convert. That's how I see that. And so my former colleagues, I believe, will be my first audience to be able to give them the gospel of Christ in a way that allows them to be able to be transformed don't worry about what they're doing. It's all about their souls. Well, Dr. Cornegay, you are a relatively new Christian, but I think you are old in your faith in a sense because my, you surpass me in your understanding of what Christ can do for us. How could uh, people connect with your ministry, rise? Amen. Well, again, first, pray for us and to, to lift us up. But you can also reach us, uh, you can come to our website at www.risereentry.org. You can call us at 773-622-5701, that's our office. Or you can come by and, and visit Living Word Christian Center at 7600 West Roosevelt Road. Come and see our Carver Innovation Center. Ask somebody for Dr. K, they'll send you to my office. <laughs> we can sit and talk anytime. That sounds great. I'm going to stop by sometime. Praise the Lord. <laughs> Praise God. All right. Yes. All right. It's on tape. I got to do it now. <laughs> so, all right. Well, doctor, thank you so much. God bless you and your family and your ministry. What's the website again and the phone number? Website is www.risereentry.org, all one word. And our phone number is 773-622-5701. All right. Thank you so much. And thank you folks for tuning in. Please support the work of the Illinois Family Institute. Remember our October 29th banquet, the Faith, Family, and Freedom Banquet with the Reverend Dr. Erwin Lutzer. We will not be silenced. Go to our website, IllinoisFamily.org. Click events for more information. And tell your family and friends about Illinois Family Spotlight. Until next time, stay healthy, stay active, and God bless. For more information about Illinois Family Spotlight, visit ifiaction.org. And to email questions and comments, do so at feedback at ifiaction.org.